0: Please open your Bibles this morning to uh, actually a couple places we are studying, if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we've been doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews, almost done with this precious book, um, though it'll never be done with us, right? Um, So in Hebrews, we're going to be in chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, and then we're also, if you will also... um, Open your Bibles to Philippians two, twelve and thirteen. These are just bookend verses, and, and I think you'll see why when we read them. Last week, last last Sunday was such a precious Resurrection Sunday. Um, we learned that Jesus isn't just our resurrected Savior. We learned that He's our resurrected Shepherd. That is awesome. We learned that God intends for us to experience the comfort and joy of Christ's resurrection through the moment by moment, day by day, shepherd care of Jesus. He's ever-present to shepherd us. And we did a brief meditation of Psalm 23 in connection as a cross-reference to Hebrews 13. So here's what I hope that you took out of that. That our shepherd Jesus is is committed to you in three specific areas. He, he does more than this. But he does three specific things because I think we're living in a world where when, when, I think, one, people are so familiar with Psalm 23, they just think they know it, and most really don't know it very well. And they, so they think when Jesus leads me Makes me lie down in green pastures, or leads me beside still waters. They're thinking that, oh man, that's good because he's going to give me that eight-bedroom, seven-bathroom house. That's green pastures, and uh, and still waters is the promotion at work and recognition. Finally, getting the recognition on the job that I've worked so hard for. Jesus is a shepherd of your soul. Your soul is the most important thing about you. God cares about your job. God cares that you have a place to live and food to eat. But Jesus is a shepherd of your soul. So when you think of the Lord is my shepherd, please be thinking of this. He's the shepherd of your sanctification. He's the shepherd of you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. He's the shepherd that is preserving and sustaining your faith. And He's the shepherd that whether it's through Him coming again or whether there's coming that day when, when God has, has he's, he's, he's determined the date of your birth and He's determined the date of your death. And if He hasn't come back first and the date of your death comes, He's the shepherd that is going to usher your soul from this life into real life Forever. He's the shepherd, so please, please, when you when you read Psalm twenty three, please take it in in regard to your soul. That's just 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 a, a just a thought, just a pastoral burden that you not misunderstand what the shepherd of your soul is to be doing. I, I think if we misunderstand that, we get mad at God. Some shepherd, I'm going through this rough time. And yet, the whole time you're going through the rough time, He's wanting to shepherd your soul so that something's going on within you that fortifies you to be able to go through anything in this world. So that's just, I hope you get that. And we don't leave that theme this morning. Having a Savior shepherd who is working all things together for your godly good and glory is also going to mean having a Savior shepherd who gives you everything you need to live a life of obedience to His will and pleasing in His sight. So now could you turn with me to Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. And adults, I know you know this, but I say this so much for our young people as much as any, anyone. When we turn to the Bible... We are not turning to a sports page. We're not turning to a college school book. We're not turning to a blog. We're not turning to a recipe. Thank God he speaks to us. This is his word. You can rely on it. It's inerrant, it's divinely inspired. It's sufficient for whatever is weighing your heart down today. It's sufficient. And it's authoritative. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And can you say this with me? Amen. Amen. And now Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we're so grateful that the great shepherd of our souls provides us with everything good that we can do your will and live a life pleasing in your sight through Christ our Lord. So Lord, just as much as we praised you in song, could you give me grace to to allow this sermon to be another act of praise to you? God, another act of adoration of You. And God, would You pour out Your Spirit upon every heart here? Because Lord, I know there's the weary, there's, there's the wondering, there's the wandering. Lord, there's the, there's the burden, there's the, there's the person who just doesn't feel like they can really go on much longer if, if what they're going through keeps lasting. And, and so God, would You not only give them the knowledge of Your Word today, could you, by your Holy Spirit, give them the experience of the truth that they're hearing? And God, could you breathe upon us with your Holy Spirit? God, we, we want this to be a living and active word in the way we think, in the way we marry, in the way we parent, in the way we do our work, in the way we, in the way we fellowship as a church, in the way we live on mission for you. Oh, please, God, pour out your Spirit upon us. And achieve all that you want in the preaching of your word. And please give us the grace to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before this pastor of Hebrews closes his letter, he he prays a divinely inspired blessing for, for this persecuted church. This church is going through a hard time. Maybe as hard as any church, time as any church has gone through. And, oh, he loves this church so much. And at the core of what he's praying is that you would grow in trust and obedience to Christ. But, but he doesn't just focus on what you need to do. He says, listen, I want you to grow. And I want you to, I want you to trust in him. And I want you to live a life pleasing to him. But, but what I want you to be more aware of is all that he's done to make it possible. And I hope that comes out. As we go through this verse by verse, all that he's done and continuing to do for you and and in you, this benediction is is designed to teach us that that God has not just saved you by his grace and then just left you to live in the power of your own strength and in your own wisdom. He hasn't done that. Josh, so much of the worship service was just singing everything that I'm going to try to say. Thank you so much for your preparation. God saves you and God equips you with everything that you need to obey him and live pleasing, a pleasing life in his sight. So this is in your introductory notes. One of my favorite prayers from Augustine's confessions is this. Lord, oh Lord, command what you will. I mean, do you realize he has every right to command what he will? He's the Lord. So Lord, command what you will. But please give what you command. God, I know, you have every right to tell me what to do with my life. You're the author of everything. You have every right, and you deserve all the glory. God, would you just give me the grace to do it? Just give me the grace to do it. Um, isn't it great news that God will always equip you to do what he's calling you to do? So now can I kind of get closer to your heart? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has and will continue to give you all you need to honor and obey Him in a hard marriage? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God will and has and will continue to give you all you need to honor and obey when you're parenting a strong-willed child who seems to have no interest in obedience? Will you believe this? Do you believe that God has and will continue to give you all you need to honor and obey him in the ministry, in the, the, in the, in the local church that you feel drawn to, but you just kind of pull back from it because you just don't think you're qualified or deserving or worthy of doing it? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God has and will continue to give you all you need to honor and obey him in sharing the gospel regularly in Midland, Texas with unbelievers? Oh God, breathe on us in that way. God, make it it not to be an occasional thing that we share the gospel. Lord, make it a a grace-given discipline in our lives. Do you believe that he'll give you all you need to do that? Do you believe that God has and will continue to give you all you need to forgive someone who's hurt you deeply without feeling like you're condoning what they did or or letting them win? Do you believe that? Here's our main point this morning. Christ is always present to equip us with all the grace we need to trust Him, obey Him, and live a life pleasing in his sight. I think that's what the text says. Here we go. First point, Christ equips you with everything good. So notice again, there's lots of notes today, so if you keep your keep your eyes on the notes here, notice that God this is I think this is such a significant moment in the sermon. Notice that God, not man, is the decisive factor in making us what he wants us to be. <laughs> really, we ought to say, amen. <laughs> we ought to say, amen. And so what, what, what this text is, going to, is intended to do, it's, it's intended to feed a starving heart. It's, it's intended to amaze you again at the grace of God, not to just save you, but to sustain you and empower you for the life he's called you to live. God wants you to be impressed again with him. That's what this verse is supposed to do. Supposed to accomplish. So let's look at that. What, so what have we learned just in these past few weeks? And celebrating Good Friday and and Resurrection Sunday. Well, here we go. It's in your notes. Here's what we've learned. In Christ, we have peace with God. Why? Because we've been reconciled by God uh, by Jesus. Christ has reconciled us to God, so that we're not we're no longer in a wrong relationship with God to, because of our sin. We're now in a right relationship with God, not on any good works that we have done, but on the good work that Jesus did for all of us when he died on the cross. So he gives us peace with God, which opens the door for you to experience the peace of God. And who needs that this morning? You've, some of us have been spending this week knowing what it is to worry more than it is to experience the peace of God. And God wants you to be overwhelmed with peace that goes beyond your understanding. How did we get that peace with God? Well, in Christ, God's wrath has been propitiated by Christ's blood. Josh, I was so thrilled that Bonar even used the word propitiation in your reading today. What is propitiation? It's that, it's that there is a just wrath that God has to exercise against sin. But then when Christ is on the cross, God's wrath is propitiated, meaning it's satisfied in him, and it's turned away from you. And you know what that does? It opens the floodgates of God's favor toward you. It opens the floodgates of God's forgiveness for you. It opens the floodgates of all that God has to make you all he wants you to be. It's a great word, isn't it? In Christ, we have the promise of a new heart through the eternal covenant. So Jesus didn't just show us forgiveness in the eternal covenant. We read in the Old Testament that God gives us a new heart in the new covenant. And don't we see that? Don't we see the shadows of that in what we're studying this morning? In Christ, we have the power of God because the same Spirit, do you, do you realize this? Romans eight eleven. do you realize that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you. This is a feast, isn't it? Now go back to hard marriage, strong-willed child, fear and evangelism, fear of forgiving someone. There's a feast here, isn't there? There's a feast here. In Christ, we have a pastor, so... (laughs) If you've been here for a while, you know how I get stuck on... Did you see all the letter P through the reading? Well, thankfully, pastor and shepherd mean the same thing. In Christ, we have an ever-present pastor, a shepherd after God's own heart. And now in Christ, this is where we're going, we have the provision Of everything good. What is that talking about? Here we go. The word equip. We touched on it last week. Here we go. Just a reminder. It it, it was a word that had several meanings. It could mean soldiers being equipped with weapons and resources needed for battle. It was used of doctors setting a broken bone. (laughs) Um, For anyone else, could you turn down your cell phones? Um, Oh my goodness. I am so sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and and what's worse, it's it's the staff, it's elders. That's actually I don't know. I don't guys. I guess am I supposed to read this? I don't know if I'm supposed to read this. <laughs> anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> let's, let's keep going. Can we edit all that out of the whatever? Um, so it's used of doctors setting a broken bone. It's used of fishermen mending their broken nets. And really what we're, what we're learning is God wants to make you whole in saving you. He wants, to, he wants to make you complete in Christ. So that, not just so that you can finally feel better. Not, not so that you can just finally be happy. Uh, Praise God for how he'll do those kind of things in your life. But it's to restore you to do what he's called you to do. I mean, we don't mend a net just to hang it on the wall. Well, maybe some fishermen do. but (laughs) We mend a net to get it out in the water. Because we're fishing for men. That's what he's restoring us for what we've been made for. God saves you to make you complete so that you can be and do what he wants you to do. So here we go. Here comes some more feasting. Get ready. Get ready. Get that napkin up here. Close. Notice that God will not only give you a few good things. So I want you to notice this good things. Did you notice he will give you everything good, but that's where he stopped, Did you notice he didn't start giving a list? So I think what he's talking about there is not just, okay, here's a few little nibbles of God's goodness. Here's a few little ways God will be good to you. I think what we're supposed to be getting at that that is, here's the comprehensive goodness that God will pour out and has poured out and will continue to pour out for all who trust him. Like what, Billy? Well, how about this? How about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How about this? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Wow. Getting a point across, right? You may abound in every good work. How about this? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. he wills. And that's just one passage about the gifts that God gives to his church. How about Ephesians 1.3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, you want more? How about James 1.5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Okay, how about Isaiah 49? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Apply that to your hard marriage. Apply that to your growing really, growing really weary and feeling a little hopeless that your trial has lasted longer than you thought it would last. Well, let's keep going. So what is all this goodness coming to do? Here's a second point. So that we can do his will. And I'm going to just pour my guts out to you on this one. He's equipping you. He's healing you. He's mending you. He's giving you everything good. To do his will. To do his will. If God calls you to do a thing. He will give you what you need to do it. So knowing that, if you're not doing it still, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, the Lord wants to so minister to so many hearts through this this morning. God will never ask you to do anything in this world where he will not also give you what you need to accomplish it. If he calls you to Nepal... If you're, if you're visiting with us we have, we're building a relationship with a church planting pastor in Nepal for the last five years and, and we've taken regular trips there to work with him and, and uh, help him in any way we can to, to uh, nurture and plant churches and, and I go and I'm the biggest chicken missionary you've ever seen I like like my office. I like my couch. I don't like risk. Freaks me out. If he calls you to Nepal, he'll be with you and give you everything good to do it. If he calls you to trust him in your marriage and your parenting, he'll give you everything good to do it. He'll give you honor to He'll give you power to honor God even if your spouse is apathetic to Christ. And, and yet your spouse proclaims that he or she's a believer, but oh my goodness, they seem to have no interest in the King of Kings and Lord of the Lords. The Lord will give you everything good to stand. What if he calls you to suffer for Christ? This may be happening more, folks. As 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 Executive order after executive order is being written. I just, I've been rehearsing this from my own heart. God will give me everything good to minister for His glory in jail. If God calls you to teach first and second grade kids in our children's ministry, He'll give you all the grace to do it. When God calls you to die, He'll give you everything good that you need to do it and not be afraid. The will of God will never guide you to where the grace of God can't provide for you. Matthew 6.33, doesn't it say that? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Everything you need will be added to you. So maybe here's the question. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Well, wait, maybe maybe the question is, What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Does it mean to just do a couple of good works now and then? Or does it mean that I exist to spread the knowledge of God to everyone I meet? Starting with my wife and children, if you're married and have a family, starting with my next door neighbor, starting with my co workers, starting with fellow students. Do you exist for that? We exist to seek first the kingdom of God. It's not just being good so he'll bless us or to help us do better on our final exams. It means that we are joined with Jesus to advance the gospel locally and globally for his global glory. Oh, but so let's, let's go a little further here. How about this? I want you to notice this text. It's very interesting what he's saying Don't raise your hand, but who is struggling to know God's will right now? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Because probably most of us have an area in our lives where you're struggling to know God's will. Okay, I want you to think about this. When when you think about doing God's will, knowing God's will, is this where you go? Who should I marry? What job should I take? Where should I live? Where should I go to college? What church should I go to? Did you notice the emphasis here is not knowing God's will? It's doing God's will. I think what that's saying is he's assuming you already know it. Okay, you see where we're going? If not... Stay, stay, stay with me. The Bible is much more clear about God's will than we realize. What is His will? You were made in His image. Why? To know him and make him know. That's why. Have you thought about God's will like that lately? See, you see what the writer is saying? You're, you're wondering about marriage and jobs and, and college and, and all of this. How about know me and make me known? I think we put the cart before the horse. I think we spend a lot of time seeking God's will for our personal and private lives. And what tends to happen is that we then tend to kind of pervert the idea of God's will. Better way to say it is we conform the idea of of God's will. Oh God, show me what your will is for my life as long as it's conformed to my will. Did that make sense? Living to know him and make him known should inform then who I should marry. You see why it's got to put A before B. I exist to know him and make him known. Wow, that really shapes the thought of who should I marry. And for all my single brothers and sisters, it also, this is really a good favor from the Lord. It also reduces the candidate pool a lot. Okay, so it's going to be way easier to know who you should be marrying than you think because you're living for the revealed will of God. That's what this text is saying. And I'm just jumping up and down because, oh my goodness, is this ringing my bell? There's so much that this is ringing my bell about. God has revealed his will to us, but we spend more time wondering about these other things. See, what what ends up happening is, if I don't exist to know him and make him known, and, and all my prayers really are, oh God, who should I marry? Who should I marry? Who should I marry? Did you know that his will is that marriage declare his glory? Did you know that? That's the purpose of marriage. But if you're going to shove that to the side, here's what you're going to be praying. Oh God, please show me who I should marry. And you're going to shrink the whole thing of marriage down to so I can be happy. How are you doing in obeying the will of God that he's already revealed to you? So here we go. Husbands, how are you doing loving your wives the way Christ loved the church? We know the will of God, don't we? We don't have to wonder what the will of God is. Wives, how you doing submitting to your husband as the church submits to Christ? Oh God, but please, can you tell me the, the will that's concealed still? God's saying, I've given you plenty to do <laughs> with what's revealed How are you doing being a disciple who makes disciples? How are you doing being devoted to God's word, fellowship and prayer? How are you doing teaching God's word to your children when they're rising up and lying down or walking in the way? How are you doing sharing the gospel with unbelievers regularly? It's amazing. This is in your notes. It's amazing how seeking to obey the revealed will of God through the strength that God supplies will position your heart to be able to better see what until now might have been the concealed will of God for who you're supposed to marry, where you're supposed to work, etc. Another mistake we make here about the will of God is that I think we think that if we're doing the will of God, our lives should have an explosive impact in the world. That our lives should be making vast differences That my life should be changing culture. That my life should affect hundreds, if not thousands of people. That my life should somehow put an end to social injustice, to racism, to child trafficking. You know, God does use some people to make big differences. There are some Moseses around. There are some Davids, right? There are some Pauls and some Peters. And he makes big differences in their lives in relatively short time frames. But I would argue with you that's not the normative way that God works. So I'm really speaking to my younger brothers and sisters now. Listen, I'm 61 years old. I've been married to Jan for 35 glorious years. She's over here, uh, one of our greeters in the family room. Hi, babe. I've been married to her for 35 glorious years. I think they're 35 laborious years for her. I have three grown sons (laughs) who are treasures to their dad's heart. Two precious daughter-in-laws. Oh my goodness, I wish you could know these girls. Guess who's coming? (laughs) The grand girl. One grand girl. And a second grand girl due the end of May. wish I could get the credit for it I, you know I mean so thank you but uh, thanks for celebrating with me I've been a pastor for 34 years total six years in New Orleans and 28 years here next month 28 years our church is about 100 people and it's been about 100 people I don't know for how many years a long long time wow You've pastored 28 years and only have a church of 100? Sounds like a failure. At least if the will of God is that our lives are to change cultures and impact hundreds of thousands of people. God bless you. Um, I've spent over half my life pastoring And I certainly haven't set the world on fire. But Billy, don't real leaders bring about big picture, systemic, generational change? (laughs) You know, some do. Just not me. I'm not a very smart guy. I do things at the pace of a tortoise. (laughs) I'm not a strategist or an administrative genius. Actually, my capacity feels taxed just to do my best to watch over my own life and doctrine closely. It's all I've been able to do to sacrifice and nurture and cherish my wife washing her with the water of the word and wanting, wanting to inspire her to grow more and more into what Christ has designed her to be. And then I want to lead her all the way. If, if, I, if, if she dies before me, I hope I can lead her all the way to putting her hand in his hand. And I wish I could have a front row seat to seeing God give her the grace rewards that she, that she's, that she has, has that, she, that he wants to give her For being faithful to him. It was all I could do to try to teach my sons God's Word, how to pray, how to rise up and bless their mom, and how to love and serve the local church. And it's all I could do to try to give about a hundred precious people that I don't deserve to pastor biblically faithful sermons. To pray for you, to seek your salvation, your sanctification, and your eternal good. (laughs) Doesn't sound very impressive, does it? If you're visiting today, you're dismissed. I mean, there's... (laughs) um, (laughs) Now you know, okay, we can mark this one off the list, right? Um, You know, I guess I could have tried harder to have a more amazing life. But given my limited capacities and intellect, something else would have suffered. After all, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his marriage? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his sons to worldliness? And you know, if all that was going on, I would fear that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Who knows? Who knows? I think there's a decent chance my my sons are going to make a few disciples. Maybe the handful of other disciples that God's allowed me to make along the way. Maybe they'll make a few disciples too. And maybe those disciples will make some disciples. It might seem like a slow way to get there. But suddenly our small efforts might one day result in a larger impact than we ever thought possible. This is a long reading, but I I think this will be timely for some people here today. I think it'll be prophetic in its timeliness this morning. This is an article by Scott Hubbard from Desiring God Ministries. Could you read along with me? Christians worship a big God with a big mission that will one day reach this whole big world. Yet for all his bigness, our God has a remarkable love for the small. He sets his eye upon small people in small places during small moments. The Son of God, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, even became small to save us. Yet some of us, for one reason or another, embrace the bigness of God and his mission without likewise embracing his love for the small. And then finding ourselves unable, listen, please, this is a word for somebody, well, besides me, and then finding ourselves unable to escape the small, we can begin to chafe and mutter. We're big dreamers hemmed in behind and before by a small job, a small church, a small town, a small life. We may need to hear again the word of the prophet Zechariah spoken to people captivated with the big. Do not despise the day of small things. To be sure, God's mission in the world does not culminate in a day of small things. And we would be wrong to rest content in such a day but we also would be wrong to despise it. Instead, consider a lesson from Zechariah and scripture's other prophets. If we're genuinely faithful in the day of small things, our small obedience will become big, but not usually right away and not often in the ways we expect. The big God is apparently patient enough to (laughs) to endure centuries of small days his kingdom, which will one day cover the earth, does not begin big. It grows from one old man named Abraham and his barren wife. It grows from the fewest of all peoples being chosen as God's delight. It grows from a mustard seed and a bit of leaven. It grows from an embryo in the womb of a virgin. It grows from 12 uned- uneducated men. What will it mean for us to worship a God who works like this? You know what it'll mean? It'll mean praying for the big, longing for the big, and working for the big. All the while, faithfully and contentedly, devoting ourselves to the small. Pray for revival and then prepare breakfast for for the kids. Dream of the knowledge of God's glory flooding the earth and then bring a taste of that glory to the neighbor next door. Preach a grand vision to dozens or hundreds on Sunday and then sit and listen to the wounded one on Monday. The big things are not usually ours right now. Nor, however, are they often what we expect. If we allow scripture to reshape our ideas of size, we will learn to see the day of big things, not only off in the future, but in some sense right here and right now, in the midst of all that seems so small. What then is big in the eyes of the Lord? Oh, listen, a partial list could include praying, giving, fasting in secret, humbling yourself among the last and the least, spending time with children, visiting forgotten people and forgotten places, giving a cup of water to one of Jesus' little ones, remaining faithful with however many talents you have. What is small among men is big in the sight of God. The day is coming when this world's carnival of mirrors will give way to clear sight and just judgment. Then many who are first, they're going to be last and the last first. And then we will see just how small were all the world's big things. and just how big was the day of small things. Scott Hubbard is this man's name. Isn't that so good? So think about this, you guys, God has given us everything good to do his revealed will. We're not called to be amazing. (laughs) I should be the biggest proof of that. We're called to be obedient with all the good that he gives us to do it. And how many of us, when we consider God's will, listen, one other thing here, when, when you think about the revealed will of God, how many of you think about your place in the local church? You guys, our world has sold us a bill of goods. Not to, there was never intended to be this understanding of Christianity in which, in which we, the church is called the Bride of Christ, right? In which we visit the Bride of Christ once a week and maybe twice if you're really committed. It was never supposed to be that way. Parents, when you think about raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, if you're thinking of that and the, the context of the local church is not deeply ingrained in that will of God for your family, oh my goodness, you're missing it. Softball and baseball and soccer are gonna do nothing for the eternal good of your kids' souls. Where does the local church fit into your understanding of the will of God for your life? This is so important, you guys. I'm not just concerned. Listen, I'm not just concerned for the next generation to know Jesus. I'm concerned for them to know Jesus and love the church he died for. We're we're falling short if we're parenting for, for just, oh, hopefully they can just pray the sinner's prayer. Have no love for the church, though. That should be a big red flag. But you know, a lot of the kids are hearing a sermon that's much louder, and as loud as I am, they're hearing a sermon preached by their parents. Because their parents visit Christ's bride occasionally. God gives you all good things good to be connected to one another in the local church. That together, we're not only proclaiming the gospel together. I think the word, Alan, would be apologetic. Not a, if you're newer to... We're not apologizing. The church, by our life together, is supposed to be a witness of the greatness of God. We're supposed to look like heaven in the sense there should be every, every race in Midland... May God bring them to our church. May there be all races, all ages, all whether, whether you've got doctor's degrees or a, a GED, it doesn't matter in the sight of God. That's what's so amazing about the church. We're proclaiming the saving gospel. And, the, and, and unless we connect, unless we're regularly fellowshipping and, and encouraging each other's faith, I, We're not living out the example of the gospel. Look what God has done. Amen. And so we're going to do a little mini series on the church after the book of Hebrews. We're almost done with Hebrews because we feel like the world is doing all that it can. Satan is doing all it can to just let you think that visiting Christ's bride a couple times a month is just enough. May God bless the preaching that, that, uh, that takes place then and you know what I gotta tell you the Lord has been adding to our church I, I don't know why we're not doing anything different but it does mean we're gonna need more ministry workers than we've ever needed in our church and God has given you everything good to play your part and we'll talk more about that as we we go last point is this Christ equips you to glorify him by living a life pleasing to him isn't it amazing that God himself works in you that which is pleasing in his sight (laughs) so here we go big view of God right little view of ourselves big view of God Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. God is doing right at this moment, good work in you to make your good work possible. God's always at work. So what is he doing? To give you a desire to do his will and be pleasing in your sight. So please listen to me. If you don't have the desire to obey God's will, the revealed will, there's a, lot of, there's a lot right there on the surface ready for you to obey. If you don't desire to do his will, have you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? See, the good news is that God gives you a new heart. And with that heart, well, look, so here's where we're going to go. I'm going off notes a little bit here. When you get saved, God joins your life to the life of Christ. Do you know what Jesus said about the will of God? Do you remember when he was talking to the woman at the well, right in Samaria, the Samaritan woman? And the disciples went off to get some to get some lunch. And so he's ministering to her, right? He's just ministering to her and he's leading her to saving faith and now she goes, right, to tell this village of hers. She was, you know, she didn't have a good record. She lived a pretty loose life. And it doesn't matter anymore. She says, come see a man who, who knows everything. He knows everything about me. And he's forgiven me and he loves me still. You got to come meet this Messiah. And so you remember, so she goes away and the disciples come back and they've got their pita bread and their hummus and their tabbouleh and their baba ganoush. And that's, That's my stuff, you guys. That's my love language, okay? Um, And so here they come, and they say, Jesus, come on, look at this. We got this from the best PETA hut ever. PETA hut, did you get that? (laughs) We got this from the best Pita hut that there ever was. And what did Jesus say? I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Oh, guys, you know I'm already full. (laughs) You know, thanks, but I'm already full. And you remember the disciples are going... Did somebody give him something to eat? And what did Jesus say? Say it with me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's why I say, if you don't have a desire to do God's will, if you don't have a desire to live pleasing in his sight, do you know Jesus? Because an evidence of knowing Jesus is that this Jesus who, who does God's will as his food, He loves to do God's will. That's the Jesus who joins himself to your heart. That's the Jesus who is at work giving you a desire to do God's will. That's the Jesus that is giving you the power to do God's will because it's Christ in you giving you everything good to know him and make him known. And that's why he says, it's through Jesus Christ. That's why he brings it back to Jesus again. All this is through Jesus Christ. Christ. This is a Christian heartbeat. Not my will. Good Friday, right? I mean, we're heading up to the cross. What is one of Jesus' most profound prayers? Not my, say it with me. Not my will, but thy will be done. Where do we get that? Because, we, because we've been educated, we've been religiously educated, and we know we should academically pray that God's will be done. That's not it, you guys. The Holy Spirit joins this. It's the Spirit of Jesus joining himself to you so that we have a desire to pray. Not my will, but thy will be done. When God told Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, oh, these are times I wish I could have a cup of coffee with you because I know that there are some people in this room that if I said, do you believe God is, is pleased as he looks at you? And I think a lot of us would go, I've not done very good this week. It's not just this week. I haven't done very good. I, there's so much I've done wrong. Do you know God being pleased with you foundationally is not about you and your works. Behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when the beloved son joins himself to you, guess what you become? Pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Oh, you guys. Josh, come on up, buddy. Let's, let's close this down. Cute little Charles Spurgeon story because really where all this should lead to is extravagant praise of God. And that's how, the, that's how the, this pastor closes it. Uh, he talks about to him be glory forever and ever, amen. I think I put this in your notes, didn't I? A stubborn old lady, stubborn, I think I said, I have old here, this sounds very disrespectful. A stubborn older lady because I'm old, you know what I mean? Resisting, kept resisting Charles Spurgeon's efforts to share the gospel with her. Not realizing what she was saying, she told him, Ah, Mr. Spurgeon, if the Lord ever does save a person like me, he would never hear the end of it. May we be more like her. Could you stand with me? What would be the response to this, to this moment? it's not go out and do something not yet that that that's going to play a part but it's just this do you believe this do you believe that god has given you everything good to do his will and be pleasing in his sight And that might be even just a prayer this morning where, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve all the goodness you pour out to my life. I just come before you this morning asking you to fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me to believe and experience and apply all the good that you give me to obey you, to trust you. And I wanna do it for your glory, Lord. I don't want the glory to come to me. I wanna do it for your glory. Help me pay more attention to the revealed will of God. So many things you've already shown me. Give me grace to walk in the good of them. Give me grace. Help me not to try to think that need, I need to live some amazing life. Help me just to live a faithful life filled with your Holy Spirit for your glory and the, the advancement of your gospel.